Shalom Aleichem. Welcome to the Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Vivi Lacks. Vivi is a social and cultural historian, Yiddishist, and postdoc research fellow at Queen Mary University of London. She's the author of several books, including Whitechapel Noise. Vivi is a translator of the newly released London Yiddish Town East End Jewish Life in Yiddish Sketch and Story, 1930 to 1950. She was a 2019-2020 Yiddish Book Center fellow, translation fellow, excuse me. Her most recent book is a result of that fellowship project. Welcome, Vivi. Hi, Lisa. I'm delighted to be here. And delighted to have you back on the schmooze to talk about your most recent work, because we loved the work before this. Um, so here's our transatlantic conversation. Um, and just to, to jump right in, um, tell me a little bit about how you came to the project and um, a bit about the writers whose work is included in the collection. Okay, so I was actually at the Yiddish Book Center in 2019 promoting my previous book, Whitechapel Noise, and um, had a chat with, uh, with, with, with Mintel. And um, during which she was saying, you know, like, uh, you're doing really interesting work. Are you interested in being, you know, doing translation work and you should make an application to us. And I hadn't remembered. But when she said that, I thought, oh, I've got these translations that I've been desperate to put a bit of um, emphasis on, put a bit of focus on, because I collected these years ago, years ago, before I really sort of like knew Yiddish very well at all. I was in a, uh, a book fair and I picked up these two books of Yiddish writers about London. And a few years later, when I could actually read them, I was on holiday in Italy reading these stories and beginning to translate them and just thought, oh my God, they're amazing what they say about London. So I left that with very literal translations or half done. And so many years later then, when, when Mindel sort of mentioned that, I thought that this is the perfect opportunity. And the Yiddish Book Centre Translation Fellowship gave me that focus and structure to start pulling this together and include a third writer. So let me tell you something about the writers, because all of these writers were writing in the 30s in London. And just as with everywhere else with Yiddish publishing, their publishing was in the newspapers. So there's quite a lot of British Jewish press, British Yiddish press sort of, you know, coming in and then newspapers going and new ones coming. And there, there's a lot of people writing for them. And the, the one that's cutting across most of the time is its site, the Jewish Times. But there's also the Familienfreund, the Family Friend and the Post and lots of other papers. Um, and almost all of them have a section on often page two or page three, which is where they have a, a sort of half page um, feature. It's either a short story or it's a sketch. And a lot of these were written by all sorts of British Yiddish writers. So three, the three writers that are in my book are um, um, Summer Lisky, or is uh, Itamar Liski, Yehuda Itamar Liski, um, Arnold Kaiser, or Arie Maya Kaiser, and Katie Brown, or Katie Brown. Um, and they are all writing in the 30s. Now, Katie Brown came to London when she was 12 years old from Poland. They all came from Poland, um, from Stetlach in Poland. 
and she was a seamstress and then she started writing and she wrote constantly throughout the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s in the Yiddish press right up to her death in, in the mid 50s. Um, and she was writing stories and sketches and she became what Avram Nochem Stenzel, who was the sort of poet bard of Whitechapel in the 40s and 50s onwards, um, what he called, he, he called her the um, Yiddish Whitechapel's bestseller. And indeed, she was so popular and she wrote like these very humorous sketches of little bits of life as an immigrant and the tensions between the generations. And they're very funny, very rueful, really, and, 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 and really touch something that people obviously really got. Um, Arnold Kaiser came to London when he was about three years old. So he's very much a Londoner as well as um, an immigrant. And he was the son of um, uh, the first Hasidic Rebbe in London. So he had a very from upbringing, very religious upbringing. Um, although he was not um, Hasidic himself, he was possibly what we'd call more modern Orthodox now, I guess. Um, but he writes um, satirical material and his material, what is really lovely about it, because we don't get a lot of religious material. We get people often using religious motifs, but not about religion. And he does a lot of satirizing and making fun of synagogue politics and sort of like community politics. And it's all um, very interesting and telling and lots of belly laughs with him. And the third writer is um, Liskey. Now, Liskey was actually the brother of the better known A.M. Fuchs. And Liskey came to London when he was 30 already. He came from Vienna um, in 1930. And he was a communist and he saw what was going on in the East End of London in terms of communist activism, particularly they were the people who were standing against fascist activism activity in the East End of London. And so he writes about that and he writes about the hunger marches and he writes about um, sort of the desperation that people have and the way they were dealing with it. So these three writers really like are writing about very different aspects of the East End of London and they complement each other and they're all completely gripping. So you start reading stories and you just like go, wow, <laughs> I can't put this down. That's a long um, answer to your question, isn't it? No, it's a great answer, which also makes me want to say by the by, Vivi, your introduction is fantastic because it really, it set me up for each of the writers. Um, and also it gives the reader a real understanding of that, the place and the time, et cetera, and what informed their their work. So it, I think it's safe to say that the piece is really do provide readers with a window into London's East End community. And I'm curious to ask you two things. One you just alluded to, but um, first, what do you think the takeaway is? And how did you, you know, come up with the selections? Because I think it's an interesting mix uh, of the, the three writers in terms of a collection that really brings you into this place and time. Okay, first of all, can you just give me um, an American English to British English translation of Takeaway? 
Uh, oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> no, all too well. <laughs> When I say let's have takeout dinner, uh, yes, takeaway <laughs> sounds great, Lisa. Um, takeaway is what what do you want the reader to um, take away as in mull yeah. over from, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so it's interesting you mentioned the introduction because the introduction, what I tried to do is give a context of of these particular three writers. And in fact, there are biographies of the three writers before their chunks of work. So you really get a sense of who they are because actually who they are is terribly important to their writings. Um, it's not like some writers who may be more distanced, but they're really in there, in their stories. Um, I mean, I, I sort of say at some point with Liskey, when he's describing like um, a, a, a rally in Trafalgar Square, you can see him there in the crowd. I mean, you know, he had to have been there the way the detail he gives and the way he describes it and the passion he puts into it. But I'd also like to say that there is a final chapter and the final chapter is also a contextual chapter, but it's different. And it's important because in London, there were very strong writers communities. Um, so there were groups of Yiddish writers who met and who encouraged each other. And some of them were journalists and some of them were more creative writers. And they, they weren't necessarily um, terribly friendly with each other. They weren't necessarily doing similar things. There was quite a lot of snobbism and class difference between them and political differences. Um, but that really... Um, is uh, an interesting story and I'm sure it will reflect on what was going on in New York and in other places in the Yiddish speaking world in terms of their writers but hopefully that also gives you a context so I guess what I want as your takeaway are a number of things first of all it's where these writers sit with their own work and with the general bubble of stuff coming out of London at the time. Um, and where they sit there, you'll be able to see how they contribute also to a much wider picture of what's going on in the uh, within Eastern Europe at the time and in, 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 in America. And in terms of London itself, obviously London has a very particular history. It has a very particular history of fascism in the 30s, of the black shirts, of Mosley's British Union of Fascists on the streets of London. It has a particular history a decade later, or not quite a decade later, um, seven, eight years later, in terms of, of the Blitz in London and, and the East End during the Second World War. And these things just come up all the time in these stories. What's particularly interesting is how some of the stories are published during the war and you get this humour that's coming out during the war, um, which is surprising. And the other thing that's particularly fascinating is how, especially with Katie Brown, she wrote all her stories in the 30s and then she rewrote them and republished them in the mid 40s, just after the war. And she had to change things because in the 30s, she made some quite direct references to maybe politics that was happening at the time. And she changes this obviously for later. And the differences in these very humorous stories is really sort of rueful and, 
quite sort of heart-rending because obviously the history of what had happened in between is is so strong and is so tragic and 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 and, and she's so furious and full of full of sorrow um, and despair and so you get these differences and I think that that is also incredibly rich so I think that the main thing maybe that I want readers to pick up is that London had a very rich Yiddish culture it was a culture in decline and in very serious decline even by the 1930s but it was a culture that was still producing very interesting, um, rich, engaging, cultural, fictional, popular culture, really. I have to say I was intrigued by putting this trio together. I think you did a, just a brilliant job of that. And I'd, I'd love to know who, who were the readers for this work when it was originally published? That, that, that's a great question and the readership changed really because all of these this trio and the reason that it was that I chose them because I had to go back and find their stuff in the papers because but they all published books of a collection of the the the, the works that they'd put in the papers um so they are an interesting trio to sit together and I've forgotten your question um who were the readers who were the readers thank you who was the audience the audience for the 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 material in the papers is is probably a different audience to who the audience were for the books and it they may be some similar people but there may also have been some changes so for example it, when you're writing the writing from the 30s no writing in the 30s was in sight and in depost the Times and the Post, mainly those two papers um, who were publishing their works. And it was your Yiddish-speaking working class of the East End. Um, you, there, there would have been other people reading who still spoke Yiddish who were upwardly mobile as well and moving out of the East End and living in other places in London, living in other places in England because they were both national papers, national Yiddish papers. So um, it would have been your immigrant generation and the children of immigrant generation who are still speaking Yiddish, mainly working class. And what, as a translator, I mean, there's some interesting um, ways in a way of understanding who the readership is, and that is looking at the styles of the pieces. So for example, with Katie Brown, she writes incredibly fluently and it's a fast read. And when you're translating it, and she uses lots of English words in her Yiddish, and when you're translating this into English, do you want to recreate that very fast read, that very fast, actually very funny read that she, that she is um, producing? So she's writing often for people who, they're, they're picking up the paper, they haven't got much time, and they're just reading something quickly. I think Liskey is a slower read. Liskey is... Tr um, trying to write within a tradition of more literary short stories. He's coming from a very socialist standpoint. So in a way, he's not really um, achieving um, a literary status because he's still got too much, um, too much political clout within there. But he's writing much more creative um, material using terribly long sentences where you can lose the beginning at the end at the beginning if you and so on. 
Um, but so he's in a way aiming for a more cultured audience. So he does believe that the site has a more cultured audience, and indeed it has. I mean, you know, they're they're serializing people like Sholomash and all sorts of uh, and and all sorts of writers are writing for for its site. And with with um, Kaiser, it's particularly interesting because Kaiser is writing for an audience where he knows that they know the religious context that he's writing in and that he's making fun of and the community that he's writing in and making fun of. And he uses lots of religious terminology and he's just completely secure that people know that. So that's your readership. Your readership is your working class, your, your religious or ex-religious who would know that, um, your community, um, people involved, engaged in community and activists. And, and later on when they're republishing, what you'll find is that I think that the people who are buying books tend to be more than the intellectuals, except for Katie Brown, who is the bestseller of Whitechapel. And seemingly everyone's buying her books as Hanukkah presents. And I hope that they do that with my book of her translations. Yes, it does make for a very good Hanukkah present. Um, and we'll get to that part later, Vivi. <laughs> um, you know what? What also, um, and I'm not, I'm not zeroing in on the stories because I really think it's nice to come to this book fresh. Um, and I will urge all of our listeners to get the book. It, it's great read. But I have to say, um, hats off to you for what I, you know, it's hard enough to do a literary translation and find the voice of the writer that you're translating, I imagine. Um, but to, to do this for three writers and in a companion volume, that must have been quite a challenge. Well, I mean, it's, it's really fun because um, I'm from a religious background. And in fact, I'm from a religious Belzer Hasidic background, although I was brought up modern Orthodox. Um, and everything that, that Kaiser said, I just knew, you know, so... It was like he was reflecting a world that I knew really well. And so in a way, his voice felt very familiar to me. Um, Katie Brown was, was in a way, she's talking about such universal things because although there's a difference in the generational clash that she describes, and especially with the immigrants and, and their relationship to Yiddish and their relationship to Jewish culture and the way that you know parents and children really find it difficult to, to enmesh or to, to find where, where they connect when children are trying to go off in one direction and parents are trying to pull them back. Um, and I guess that's something that everyone can relate to in their own families or that many, many of us can. And that, that then, so there's a familiarity there. And I think that when you draw on your, oh, and Liskey, I mean, it comes from a left-wing socialist perspective. So again, I felt some connection with him. So I guess that when you can make a connection of some sort with these writers and you get them in that way, then it makes it easier to sort of assess their style and work with them on that because you have a feeling for them and I mean it's interesting because in Whitechapel Noise my previous book I wrote a lot about Morris Vinchevsky and I'm sure that what you do is you always fall in love 
with the people you're writing about. So I feel like now I've fallen in love with four different writers, you know, <laughs> all of them give you something so personally that it's, it's a joy to translate them. And the separate genres and being able to really see them, they are very, very different, these three genres. Um, I think gives you much more of a sense of what it would be like to read a newspaper. Of course, you're reading different people's writing and different people's genres all the time. So you want to be able to move between them. Um, and, you know, the, I, I use this analogy all the time in publishing. It's like putting together a really great dinner party and you've got three, <laughs> three guests here who <laughs> you... Oh, I'm um, <laughs> you paired them well together. Um, before I let you go, will you read something that you're particularly attached to to give our readers, our readers, our listeners, future readers, um, just a sense of what what they will encounter? Okay, well, I thought I'd read the very beginning of a, a story by Kaiser called Where It Bubbles. And he's describing um, a community kitchen that's open to give um, cheap dinners to workers who can't afford to go to restaurants and um, there are benefactors who have given money to this and he's writing about the beginning of the the opening of this where the benefactors are all together to um, to celebrate the opening. When I heard that in the heart of Whitechapel they had opened a remarkable institution, a sort of communal kitchen, where the people of our community like myself and other Jewish immigrants could get a half free lunch, I went to the head organiser for an interview. This is what happened. Coming into the kitchen, I found a hall full of people, workers, managers of workshops, owners of small and large factories and the eminent local wealthy. Everyone was curious to know when they were going to start serving the lunches and whether it would really cost only nine pence a lunch. Oh, and why not cheaper? One chap, the proprietor of a workshop with a pregnant-looking pot-belly squat and round as a bathtub, wanted to know what sort of soup they would be serving in the kitchen. I myself, he proudly informed me, like an international soup. What I mean is a barley soup with short lokshan, kliskas, farfel, beans, small shallots, carrots, giblets, veal bones, oh, and any other bones with meat on them. I want to know if they give that sort of international soup or just a simple broth made solely from chicken. A second man, short and heavy like a butcher's block, wanted to know what sort of meat they would be serving. I have an inordinate love of turkey, he said with relish. I don't mean the meat of the male turkey, but of the female turkey. Roasted and especially stuffed turkey is my favourite. But if there's no choice, I will eat duck or a quarter of a goose. The hind part, I can't take beef, it's not to my taste. A third person with chubby, pinchable cheeks was interested only in the compote. For me, he solely explained, the essential part of the meal is the compote, the dessert. My favourite compote is pineapple, the tasty pineapples that are served at weddings or the larger bar mitzvahs. If there are no pineapples, I also like the stewed plums, which should be served together with on one plate with a large piece of rich fruit cake with raisins. But if you like, I would also gladly eat turnip simmers with a marrow bone. But see to it that there are enough marrow bones in the dish and I don't have to wait until another customer's marrow bone is freed up and comes to me second hand. So that's the beginning of the story. Totally wonderful. Um, for our listeners, the book is London Yiddish Town, 
East End Jewish Life in Yiddish Sketch and Story, 1930s to 1950. It's available at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and everywhere else where you can buy great books. Um, So I hope you'll all go out and get a copy. Uh, Again, it's at shop.yiddishbookcenter.org and we have it in time for sending it out for Hanukkah. Um, Vivi, thank you so much for all you bring to your work. Um, It's just, it's a treasure of a collection um, and we look forward to welcoming you back to the center and delighted that uh, you and Mindel Cohen, our academic director, um, mm-hmm. and Mindel runs a uh, translation fellowship, connected on this and, and realized a great book out of it. Oh, thank you very much, Lisa. And just to say a huge thank you to the Yiddish Book Center. And if anyone out there is translating Yiddish, um, get in touch with the Yiddish Book Center because their course is absolutely superb. Oh, thank you. Um, we'll see you soon. Stay well, stay happy, and keep translating. You have been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To learn more about this podcast and to subscribe, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Elizabeth Carteropoli. Until next time, be well and be healthy.